we are going to go through a, a series uh, of several messages that I have entitled, What on Earth is Going On? I've been paralleling uh, a book by uh, Dr. Reynolds Showers, uh, and uh, his title was, What on Earth is God Doing? It's a wonderful book. It was written in 1973. It was first published. In 1995, Dr. Picker, uh, Dr. Showers came, and he uh, taught here at the Cornerstone Church a series of six messages on that. I remember it very, very well. We had it on tape. Um, unfortunately, all the tapes that we have, we must have got a sale on them or something. They, the sound is negligible, and they're not working very well if you have a tape player to even play them. But uh, uh, the book is available. I'm, I'm, um, my understanding is it's available still through Amazon, and you can pick up that copy. We're not going to follow that book exactly because Dr. Shower's heads in areas I, I'm not capable of and, and would not do that. Uh, but I want to look at it biblically, just exactly what God says. Historically, Dr. Shower's uh, just uh, takes that apart. We, just, we started this all with discussing that God gives us some specific warnings. New Testament Christians, born-again believers, have been warned by God, know this, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves without natural affection. And he goes down and lists all this, the last days. We know from 1 John that we are in the last days. We're not in the very last days, the last half of the last days. But the last days begin with the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And time has moved on, and Paul warned Timothy about this. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And Paul lets Timothy know that we have the word of God. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then Paul warns once again uh, uh, in his writings to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he warns Timothy that uh, there'll be internal conflicts. Uh, know this, the Spirit speaketh expressly in the last days men shall uh, give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, departing from the faith. That's talking about Christians. They have the faith, but depart from the faith. Why? Because of doctrines of demons that are spread around. So these things do exist. They, they are around us, even unto our day. And because evil men and seducers have waxed worse and worse, the situation is worse than ever. Doris had a little conversation with me just before uh, the service, and she was talking about a uh, she hears Pastor Rob mention uh, neo-evangelicalism. Uh, I used to mention that quite frequently. When I first came into the ministry in the 70s, that was a hot, a hot topic. What is neo-evangelicalism? Well, basically, it was the old-timers back then, the dinosaurs of the faith back then. They were warning us there's a new kind of evangelicalism coming. There's something new coming. And that something new coming will wash down, and these are using my own words, but Dr. Ernest Pickering, other men wrote about this, that this new Christianity that's coming, it, it's based upon uh, a feeling good theology, and that will, men will begin to walk away from the word of God and to do that which will make them feel good. You can have Christianity your way. Now we're talking about the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, these things are going on. And you know what? We're immersed in it. We're just immersed in it. We try to stay pure to the text here. We try to stay pure to the word. But recognize all around us there are large groups of people 
who are involved with a feel-good type Christianity. It's a sorrowful thing, but it's nonetheless, it's true. I've seen it in my generation. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. Paul warned us about that. Paul said this would happen. And there's many, many other warnings in the scriptures to New Testament Christians. And so when we ask what on earth is going on, we should know. We should realize it. We should recognize it. Why? Because there's been a demonic, a satanic attack upon the church, and God has told us this. So when something new happens, it's really not new at all. King Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. These things uh, circulate. These things happen, and we're in the midst of some troublous times for our country, for our nation, and quite frankly, for the church. We're in troublous times, but realize God has told us, I have given you the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We need not fall prey to these things, but we must be informed, we must be alert to them, so that when they come, they will not shock us. Remember Paul when he was talking to the Thessalonian church, and, and they were somehow confused that someone had sent them a letter saying uh, that they missed the translation of the saints and that they were, they were in fact, uh, going to go through the great uh, day of the Lord judgment. And Paul said, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things. See, we've been forewarned from the scriptures about what's happening right now. Look at the nation of Israel, for example. Uh, toward the end of the uh, southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah, toward the end of them, homosexuals were running their country. Women and children were running their country. Sound familiar? There's nothing new under the sun. There's just nothing new under the sun. And we have to recognize that these things are going to come. Now, I cannot personally, and this is I know my, uh, my own makeup, but I can't believe how fast the slide took place. It's just, to me, it's shocking to think about. And people ask me um, lately, um, you know, I, I, I love humor. I, I love to fool around. I enjoy that very much, and I use it as part of when I'm going through a series or something just to... Um, break the tension sometimes of passages. People ask me, how come you don't kid around like you used to? Well, to be honest with you, it's not too much too funny anymore. The serious days we live in, and they call for serious business. Now, that does not mean we can't have fun, but we need to read God's word and recognize something here so that we don't fall prey to it, so it doesn't catch us by surprise. And I can hear God saying, don't you remember I told you these things? See, they're there for us to realize. Well, we saw what happened in the beginning. Of course, God created everything perfect. That included his servants, angelic beings. And one of the premier angelic beings created in highest rank was someone known as Lucifer. Um, Satan, the scriptures call him. They're all derivatives of the same name, depicting different parts of his scheming and, and, and uh, sinfulness. But he's called Satan, the devil, the serpent. Uh, he was a, an anointed cherub, we read in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. But he was lifted up with pride. When God created his angelic beings, his servants, he gave them intellect, emotion, and will. They had a right to choose. And everything that God has created, uh, that is mankind and angelic beings, all have that same right. They have intellect, emotion, and will. 
They have choice. They can decide for or against what God says. God has not created robots. I'm interested in robots, aren't you? Very interesting things today. I've had several occasions in my life where robots have replaced me at work. It's hard to believe, but there they were. <clears throat> it just replaced me. Now, it was not a, a man standing there looking like me, pushing buttons, but it was robotics in the machine industry, and it just cleaned out my job, jobs I loved very much. They were gone. Why? By robots. Well, God did not create robots that you push a button and they do exactly what he told them to do. He gave them a choice so that they would obey him in love and in faith. He chose to give them that. And so this angelic being, this cherubim, according to Ezekiel chapter 38, um, God said he was lifted up with pride. And, and his pride carried him away from God. He wanted to be like God. Isaiah chapter 14 parallels that. And uh, when Satan cries out, God is speaking about the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He was talking about him. But you can see the force behind him, just like he's talking to the king of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 38. But he mentions this. You were with me in the garden. Now, certainly the king of Tyre was never there in the Garden of Eden. So he, the reference is the power behind Tyre. The reference in Isaiah 14 is the power behind Babylon. And when uh, God says that the, this satanic being, Satan himself, behind the king of Babylon said, I will be like the most high God. And so that was the battle place that took place. It took place shortly after the creation of the heavens and the earth on the, uh, right after the sixth day creation, something happened during that time where Satan fell. We also saw that Satan uh, was not alone. That is, he took one-third of the angelic beings with him. We read that from the book of Revelation chapter 12. We do not know how many angels there are. There are countless, countless billions into the trillions or zillions, I like to say. We do not know how many there are, but one-third of those angels fell with Satan. They believed his lie, or they wanted his position, and they fell with him. And so we have demons, demonic entities today. They're, they're created. They have wisdom. They have knowledge. They have intellect, emotion, and will. And they're in the spirit world, and yet, at times, they can indwell a body. Now, for, for our sake as Christians, we recognize they cannot indwell us. We have the power of the Spirit of God dwelling in us as Christians, but unsaved people can be possessed by demonic beings. Matter of fact, Mark makes it very clear that these beings can come and go. They can indwell a person, they can be sane for a certain amount of time, and then terribly insane at other periods of time. And we have a legion mentioned in the book of Mark. Over 2,000 demons were in one man. Incredible, incredible thought. So as we investigated this, we saw that God, um, God had now, um, the world now had two kingdoms. Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and then we had the kingdom of light, which is God's kingdom. And Satan wanted to infiltrate the kingdom of light, so Satan now turns, remember we're early in history, the first uh, week or so in biblical history, Satan turns on God's crowning glory, and that is man. So I want to look at that now. I want to pick it up there if we can for a moment. 
to uh, begin to see how Satan works. Now remember, you know these things. I understand that. I hope this is not boring to you, but I think we need to lay the groundwork to see what's going on here. And so we'll be able to compare the scriptures with the scriptures. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you know very, very well this whole process. This serpent, the devil, he's called the serpent from uh, the book of the Revelation, uh, referencing back to this day, uh, Satan himself. Now, I, would have, I, I still wonder what the first serpent looked like, don't you? Uh, I mean, when I first became a Christian, I thought, what, what did that thing look like? It must have stood on its tail and had little tiny feet and things and spoke. I don't think that was what it was. It was probably a beautiful creature. That's why Satan possessed it, took it over, whatever it was. And he was called the serpent until God then cursed that creature. And that creature we know today is a dastardly thing that scrawls on the ground there. I've had encounters with a, a couple of serpents. To me, they're just frightening things. I, don't, I think people who have them and put them around their neck and things, wow, I don't understand that. Well, anyway, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, so here you have this, this, this probably beautiful creature, and Eve is used to all the creatures in the garden, and Satan indwells this creature, and he begins the process of, of laying out a, a temptation to Eve, and we know that when uh, he said to the woman, uh, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Has God, is that what God said to you? And I have to think it was a question, and it's phrased that way in our, my King James Bible, as a question, but I have to think it was like a rhetorical question. God didn't really say that, did he? Did, did he really say that? Questioning God, essentially. Um, and notice what the woman said. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tr fruit of the tree <coughs> which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God didn't say that. Uh, all he said is don't eat of it. Adam must have added, added to that when he talked to Eve and said, listen, God doesn't want us to touch, to eat that thing. Don't even touch it. Don't even go near that thing because God has said something. We read in verse uh, 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Here's the first indication where Satan now is calling God a liar. God said you would die, but I'm telling you you're not going to die. And notice what he says. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. He didn't lie about that. He just didn't recognize the whole process here. But your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Is that not want what Satan wanted? He wanted to be just like God. So he's te testing or tempting this woman with that information. Verse 5, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the, the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. 
So his temptation worked. It was a beautiful fruit. What's wrong with it? Look at all the other trees. They're all nice, but this one is a really beautiful fruit. This is something that we, uh, perhaps none of the other trees possess this particular type of fruit. I'm amazed, aren't you? I've, uh, over my lifetime, I remember when I was a kid, there was fruit like watermelons and there were things like that. I don't remember a lot of cantaloupes or honeydew melons. I remember watermelons, just all kinds of fruit. But as our country now has, has uh, uh, progressed, uh, we have all kinds of ethnic backgrounds around, and there's things in the supermarket I don't even recognize. When you go in the fruit aisle, what is that thing? Is it a football? What is it? You mean people eat that thing? You know, and uh, when, I, when I would travel to the Philippine Islands, they have things there that the likes of men have never beheld before. It's amazing types of fruit. And you don't eat what we would think of the, is the meat. You eat what seems to be the part we'd throw away. There's all kinds of fruit. And just imagine what this fruit, this literal fruit on this literal tree of life, what it must have looked like. We, we, she saw it. She thought, thought it was beautiful. It's contrary to all, perhaps all the other fruit. And this fruit is something special and that it will make you wise. Now, who said that? Satan. God never said that. God never said that. Satan said that. And so she fell for the trap. And what happened? And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Now, a couple of things I just want to mention. First of all, Satan seems to be indicating to this woman you, God has you fenced in in a boring lifestyle. You ought to live a little bit. He knows that if you don't eat this, you'll just remain the way you are. You'll just remain the person you are. But if you eat this, this will make you wise. It will open your eyes. It's something to be desired. And then she took that fruit and she ate. Now, the interesting part about this, and we don't know this until we get all the way back to the New Testament, <clears throat> that she was actually duped. She really thought that was true. She fell for the lie. But then she gave it to her husband, and he ate. And it's not till we read the book of Timothy that we realize that he ate with his eyes wide open. Now, why did he do it? We do not know exactly. Is it because he loved this woman so much that he was willing to die with her? Did she nag him to death? I don't, I don't know why he partook of this fruit, but he did, with his eyes wide open, knowing that God had said, this is wrong. And the moment he did that, the very moment he did that, he cast the entire world of mankind into darkness, just with that brief eating of that fruit. You say, well, it... A fruit, what, what's the big deal? I'm old-fashioned. When I was young, uh, we used to spank our kids. I know um, time, time outs of what people do today, but there's no time like the time when they're doing something wrong to correct them, in, in my opinion. It's over now, so the police can't arrest me for it. But recognizing that um, there was a consequence. There was a consequence to be paid. And when Eve partook of this fruit, sudden and instant judgment fell upon mankind. And God was not, this was not something that God 
could overlook. Why? God said no, and they said yes. Remember, sin is self-will, ignoring or opposing the will of God. Anytime you do something contrary to God's word, that's sin. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something you just forgot. Ignorance of God's law is no excuse. When we, when we uh, do something contrary to God's will, it's called sin, and that's exactly what went on. As a result of that, of course, the world is cast into darkness, and this is where we'll pick up our study now. We only have just a few minutes together, another 15 minutes together. But realize that God now should be in a dilemma, right? Now what? I only created two people. I said when they, when they ate of the fruit, they would die. If I kill them, i got to start all over again. And what am I going to do? No, 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 no. God, his purposes and his plans are known from him. Remember, he knows the end from the beginning. And I just want to remind you, that's why the Lord Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. It was all part of God's perfect purposes. He knew it all from the beginning. Before there was an Adam and Eve, God knew he would send his only begotten son. Why? Because he knew he would give Adam and Eve free will, and he knew when men have free will, they choose darkness rather than light. Very plain in the scriptures, is it not? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So just a reminder. This. So what happens now? Well, remember... Man was created in the image and likeness of God. He was created perfect in the image and likeness of God. Not only that, God had created man for the purpose of fellowship and honoring him. He gave them a specific dominion over all the earth, God says. And when, when um, Adam fell... Essentially, he turned that dominion over to Satan. He turned the earth's dominion over to Satan. Now, if you have a hard time with that, which I also have a hard time with it, we'll look at it a little later on. Remember when our Lord Jesus was in the, in the wilderness in temptation, and Satan tested him in several ways. That was not the only temptation. We only have that temptation recorded. It said he continually tempted him. That was through his entire ministry. But Satan brought Jesus up into a high place, and he said, uh, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you all the worlds that you see. And of course, our Lord Jesus said, uh, you should only worship the Lord your God. But Satan said, for these worlds, kingdoms have been given unto me. When, when man fell, he turned the dominion of this world over to the devil. He turned the power of darkness into uh, this world as man fell. Satan could not have had dominion over him except man chose to be so. So what happened? First of all, man's fellowship is broken with God. Notice in, in chapter 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Uh, man went to work to co cover himself, didn't he? What does man do today to cover himself? Good works, right? Good works. 
I've got to do something to please God. I've got to be someone to please God. I've got to give something to please God. Man tries to cover himself with his own good works. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with their own good works. What did they do? They sewed fig leaves together. God said, I have something better. I have another plan. But instantaneously, their fellowship was broken with God. Now, how do we know they had fellowship with God? Well, God uh, said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he gave dominion to the world. And God, in uh, verse 8, walked with man in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Now, I always get a kick out of that. You read in Psalms, where shall I go from the presence of God? I can't be buried in the earth. I can't, no matter where I go, God is there. But Adam and Eve hide themselves from God as if he doesn't know where they are and he cannot see them. Notice he says, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where art thou? Now, I really don't think he needed to ask that, do you? But he wanted man to respond, obviously. And he said, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that you should not eat? And then, of course, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the devil. Just a blame shifting continually. And we can recognize that. But God uh, condemns the serpent. Now, again, this serpent, whatever it looked like, whatever kind of animal being it was, I do not know exactly what it was, uh, rept some kind of beautiful reptilian, I do not know. But whatever it was, that reptilian was now cursed, and so it had to crawl without arms and legs uh, on the earth. But notice what God says in verse chapter um, 3 and verse 15, talking to Satan and now to Adam and Eve who are present. And God says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God now lets Satan know his position, but also lets the man and the woman know their position. Because you have broken my word, because you have gone against me, because you have chosen sin rather than righteousness, you have chosen your way instead of my way, there's a war now that's going to take place. And this is the, the spiritual conflict that we have to this present day. Nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. The battle strategies shift slightly, but the battle is still the same. And what is that battle? His seed and her seed. Her seed, of course, being the seed of men, seed of man. Adam was, um, by Adam was, um, Adam and Eve, Eve was the mother of all living. Now, I know there's things out there called the gap theory. I do not follow that gap theory. I consider it to be unbiblical. But uh, Eve is, is titled the mother of all living. She's the beginning of all what we know to be all mankind from her, uh, and through Adam's seed, man would now dwell upon the earth. But Satan, Satan would have his own seed. Now, remember, 
scripturally speaking, we recognize that angels are neither married nor given in marriage. They cannot produce children. So, Ad, so Satan could not have his seed. But what's interesting is all the way through uh, the scriptures, you'll begin to see that Satan and those who follow his way, those who reject God's word, are always called children of the devil. I'd like you to see that for a moment, if we could, please. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. Anyone who follows wickedness, that is, they refuse God's word and turn to their own way, they are referred to as children of the devil. Now, we see that in um, John, chapter 8. Look with me, please, um, in John chapter 8, let's pick it right up in verse uh, 44 if we can. The Lord Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those people that have rejected God's word and they've turned to their, their idea of the Mosaic law. And we read this in verse 44. You of your, are of your father, the devil. Notice. You are of your father. You are the seed of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. Notice, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, we'll see that. Not only was Adam and Eve subject to death, but a little later on, we're going to see that uh, uh, Cain, one of their children, slew Abel, his brother. He was a murderer from the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the world. And notice... And he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Right from the beginning, the Lord Jesus said. Right from the beginning, he was a murderer and a liar. Who did he lie to? Adam and Eve. Eve particularly. Who did he murder? Adam and Eve, and then, of course, Abel later on. So we see that the, the devil now, in the process of his wanting the kingdom of God, he attacks God's prized possession, man, whom God created in his own image and his own likeness to have fellowship with, so that man could reflect the glory of God. Satan attacked that and man fell. And so the battle now has been and always will be his seed and her seed. It will always be demons attacking men right from the start. Now you say, well, we fight among, amongst ourselves enough. Well, that's true, but that's just an outlaw, if you would, of what started right from the beginning. Now I want to look at a couple of passages because I think this is very important for us to recognize. Notice, please, back with me to Genesis again, <coughs> Genesis chapter 3, that in the process, of course, there's going to be, of this conflict, there's going to be in, uh, injury. There'll be definite injury. What will the in, uh, injury be? Well, uh, in the process, in Genesis chapter 3, I will put enmity or, or, or a division between the, thee and the woman, Genesis 3 and verse 15, and between thy seed and her seed. He, the seed that should come from the woman, now a specific seed, this is going to be important because we're going to see Satan begins to shift his focus on the seed of the woman. Not all the seed of the woman, but particular parts of the seed of the woman. He 
shall literally, the Hebrew here indicates crush your head. He's going to crush your head into the dirt. I went fishing um, at the Boulder Dam and the lake that surrounds the Boulder Dam. I, I, it slips my mind at this moment. The Hoover, Lake Mead, thank you, Lake Mead. I went fishing there one summer. I was going to meet Pastor Rob in California. We were going to a pastor's conference, and I left a, a week ahead of time, and I went to Boulder Dam to fish there. I always wanted to, and I did, and I did fairly well. But in fishing there, I met a man named Sam, an old, old guy. And Sam said, this is nothing. He said, you should come with me up in the hills to fish. He said, you want, want to meet me tomorrow? Well, I knew tomorrow was going to be my last day, and I said, sure, I want to do that. Uh, so I met him, and we went fishing up in the hills, which I didn't even not know there were hills around there. But we went up in the hills, and we fished, and we, it, was, it was fun. I had a temporary license. But then he said to me, would you like to go rattlesnake hunting with me <laughs> tomorrow? I mean, uh, this afternoon, later today. I said, yeah. I'd never been rattlesnake hunting before. And so uh, we went rattlesnake hunting. And it, because it was... Um, it was later in the year, the rattlesnakes were all denned up, but he could go in and catch these rattlesnakes. He says, and when we get them, you have to hit them in the head with a stick. Okay. <laughs> I could not find a stick long enough to do that with. Uh, <laughs> but um, he, would, he was actually crawling in these holes, and he says, and I'll throw one out. And um, it, was, it was a process. But the way you kill a snake most quickly, because you can literally chop the thing in half, and it can survive. But the way you kill a, a, a snake is to crush its head. And that's the indication here. He's going to crush your head. But in the process, his heel will be bruised. And of course, you and I recognize, realize that that's Messiah. And that Messiah himself would have to pay the price of sin on Calvary's cross and, and bear our burden. He was beaten beyond recognition, the scriptures tell us. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was buffeted black and blue. His skin was ripped from his body by Roman soldiers. Christ died in our place. He was bruised because of this fall, because of this battle that went on. But as we consider that now, I want you to recognize, and we're just about out of time, that though we have this battle going on, he's a defeated foe. He's a defeated foe. I want you to see what Paul told the church. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16, please. <coughs> Romans chapter 16. You see, we need not fall prey to this foe. We're in the book of Romans chapter 16. Paul is letting the church at Rome know. He's, he wants to come. He wants to visit. He's looking forward to it, and he does get there. We'll see that on Monday nights. But as Paul uh, warns them in, in this last section of Romans, Romans chapter 16, notice in verse 20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't that good news? He'll be crushed. The time's coming when he'll be crushed. He'll be uh, dispossessed, he'll be set aside. As a matter of fact, not only would he, will his power be crushed, but his entire being will abide in what's called the lake of fire. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. We presently know the abiding place of the sin, 
of sinners in what we call hell, hell, Gehenna, a holding place where there's literal fire. We know that from Luke and Mark. It's a, a place of outer blackness, outer darkness, it says, where the, where the worm does not die, where the worm is in quenched. Anything that's in there lives on and on and on, yet it's tormented in a flame. Well, one day, that place was designed specifically for Satan and his angels. We read that in Revelation chapter 20. Notice verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Of course, Romans chapter 20 talks about uh, the unregenerated, those people who reject the word of God, who choose darkness rather than light, in this great conflict of Satan and God, they will abide also with the devil, the false prophet, in, and uh, fallen angels forever and ever in this place called the lake of fire. Hell, the, the temporary holding place, will be cast up and God will bring all those people before his throne and they will all be judged. And they'll be judged for what? The books will be open, and they'll be judged as to whether they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah or not. And they'll be judged, of course, for that fact that they rejected the word of life, the word of truth, and they'll uh, reside in hell forever. But as we look at uh, this battle, this conflict, and this is where we're going to pick it up starting uh, from now, and we'll work our way all the way through it, as far as we can at least, uh, as we see this conflict of the ages, we recognize that those children of the devil, their whole goal in life, whether they know it or not or realize it or not, is to go against the word of God and God's people. And so that's the battle. And we're in the middle of it. But what's sad is so many Christians fall prey to it. We need not. It's recorded for us. It's here. We know the outcome, we know the victory, we have the strength, we have the power, we have the resource, we have the word of God to direct and guide us, but so many Christians fall prey to the devil and his deeds. Remember Paul was talking to the church and he said to them, I fear that as the devil tempted Eve in the garden, so your, your faith would be tested or tempted just like Eve was, and you fall away from your own simplicity, your own righteousness. See, the devil's still doing it. Paul warns throughout the scriptures, Peter warns, John warns about this battle that's going on. And so it's fair warning. You and I cannot ever stand before God and say, I didn't know. If you didn't know, it's because you didn't want to, or you didn't pay attention, or you didn't believe God's word. But we do know, we do know, we have all the proof there. So as we look at this battle progressing, and we're going to look at it even unto our day, the day we live in is, is wrought with the devil and his work. It's just wickedness, total wickedness is all around us. But we still have the power of the living God dwelling in us. We need not fall prey. We need not be sad. We need not be defeated. We can, uh, we can have that, as Peter mentions, uh, that eternal hope that's within us. In the world, Jesus said, you shall have troubles, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time, for the time in the scriptures. And as we look at this conflict, Father, help us not to be downtrodden because of it. Help us not to feel a sense of hopelessness because we know our eternal hope is in you. You are the blessed hope that we wait for. And Father, we thank you for the scriptures we can look at, we can study, we can recognize, Lord, Satan's plan and your glory and your honor. We know, Father, that eventually Satan's head will be crushed and that the seed of the woman will return in glory and honor, in full judgment. Father, help us to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.